You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to Elba's Targeted Individual Community Call. It's Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. 10.54 a.m. Pacific time. So what am I doing on TalkShoe during the day? Well, unfortunately for me, or maybe fortunately for me, I was unceremoniously terminated from my position at a company by the name of Robert Talbot Incorporated. Um, what they're claiming is actually what I was doing basically was to gather evidence of this electronic and cyber warfare that transpires including in the, to include in the workplace, in particular when someone like myself has a an Equal Employment Opportunity Commission Department of their Employment and Housing Discrimination and Retaliation uh, pending case with the company that unceremoniously terminated my position with the company. And part of what happens, and one of the hardest things to prove, but a lot of it is done through psychological warfare to try to terrorize someone out of the workplace. And it is a tactical operation that is deployed and executed generally with the assistance of the IT department of the company to retaliate against the employee with the help of uh, the recruitment of peers. So that becomes what's known as workplace mobbing or bullying where other members, including peers, start ganging up on you. But what was transpiring with me, a lot of it had to do with the cyber world, whereby your workstation, which is hooked up to internet connection and everything, is compromised and hijacked so that other people can do nefarious things and to stop you from being able to do your job. And so it was happening quite often. The retaliation uh, became worse when I went to the owner of the company and let him know that I simply wanted to go to work and not be bothered. Instead of doing that, this, this owner hired a law firm in Los Angeles to come up against me. For what? For speaking truth? And some of the tactics that were utilized were this type of workplace sabotage. And that constitutes hostile work environment through retaliation for filing a discrimination claim. So I was able to finally document visually what was transpiring because every time I went to the IT contractor, this individual would become evasive, would start laughing because he already knew what was happening because he was helping to facilitate it. So I was finally able to garner documentation to show the type of things that transpire when I'm trying to do my job and files you know, appearing and disappearing. My inability to be able to save something Compromised to uh, Excel files. So you remember, I do finance. I was doing finance. Regardless of what was going on, I am a consummate professional, which means I go there to do my job. And when I am being interfered with, that becomes a problem. But the retaliation was swift. 
upon the owner ensuring that he was going to fight back and hire a law firm in Los Angeles. So part of what happens is the recruitment of other people means the manipulation of other people who you wouldn't think would be capable of doing such heinous and horrible things within the workplace or within your, your community. But news keeps coming out about how people are being psychologically manipulated through psychological warfare. They've weaponized information. As Dennis Kucinich said, everything in this country is up for the auction of the assassin. That was a quote that uh, Jeremy Scahill made when he did the drone conference about the truth tellers being destroyed and the criminals running free. But if that's the case, then you need to open the doors of every prison across this nation because there's pretty much nothing that they have done that this perpetrator, this state corporate and academia sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up organized crime syndicate has committed against targeted individuals. But they're going more wide and they're going after more people. But at least I know that I was documented and I continue to document to ensure that nobody comes back to me later and says, oh, we never knew about it. Everybody knows about it because I let everybody know. I'm the victim of the crimes and no one could be more accurate in assessing it other than two people. One, the people who are perpetrating the crimes and or two, the victims who have analyzed everything they've done and profiled them. Because that was the name that was the name of the game to profile people. So I reverse engineered exactly what they thought they were doing to me and I profiled every aspect of them and every move they make I expose. And and everybody laughs until it comes out in the news. Time after time after time. My website is like a dial on the future in the most literal sense of the word. I don't even have to touch it. I just I put it out there and I let it stay out there. And something else comes up. And another thing comes up. And another thing comes up. Classified information. This leak, that leak. And who's proven right? Not the perpetrator community, but the victim of what the perpetrators, state corporate, and academia sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up have deployed and executed against their own citizens. So we talk about weaponizing. And um, so I'm going to start with the, pa the present, and I'm going to work my way back to the past, all the way to my website, and show you and read to you how my analysis from how many years ago? Nine years ago? about as accurate as accuracy can be. Not even a psychic is that accurate, but a victim would be because they've experienced the deployment and execution of their operations to destroy somebody else's human living life. So I'm going to start off with um, a peace movement blooms at Google. Uh, this was on alternate.com. Uh, Jeffrey Morley from Alternet, April 5, 2018. A peace movement blooms at Google. 3,000 employees balk at a Pentagon contract 
that could power robotic warfare. 3,000 Google employees have signed a letter protesting the Internet giant's contract with the Defense Department to develop artificial intelligence in order to analyze imagery collected by drones. The employees are calling on Google CEO Sundar Pichai, Pichai to cancel the project immediately and to enforce a clear policy stating that neither Google nor its contractors will ever build warfare technology. Google is collaborating with the Pentagon's Project Maven, which was established in April 2017 to deploy computer algorithms to war zones by year's end, quote-unquote, according to one Defense Department press release. The focus of the project is 38 classes of objects that represent the kind of things the department needs to detect, especially in the fight against the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, quote-unquote. The protest is a signal movement in the global campaign against lethal autonomous weapons, otherwise known as killer robots, the increasingly plausible uh, specter of warfare in which machines automatically target and kill people without human control has given rise to an international movement to ban such weapons. The Google anti-war letter shows the movement has arrived in Silicon Valley. Since 2014, the, nation that, the nations that have signed the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons, or CCW, has convened biannual conferences of experts to study the issue. Academics, policymakers, and activists have found widespread agreement on the importance of controlling autonomous weapons, yet failed to reach consensus on how to do it. Technologists speak out. Along the way, technologists have become increasingly vocal on the issue. Last August, 116 computer scientists and founders of AI or artificial intelligence firms called on the United Nations to ban the development and use of killer robots. The open letter signed by Tesla's chief executive, Elon Musk, warned that an urgent ban was needed to prevent a third revolution in warfare after gunpowder and nuclear arms. The letter asserted, once developed, lethal autonomous weapons will permit armed conflict to be fought at a scale greater than ever and at time scales faster than humans can comprehend. These can be weapons of terror, weapons that despots and terrorists use against innocent population and weapons hacked to behave in undesirable ways. We do not have long to act, the AI experts concluded. Once this Pandora's box is open, it will be hard to close. The Google employees made the same point. While a top Google executive has assured the employees that the artificial intelligence technology under development will not operate or fly drones and will not be used to launch weapons, the employees have rejected the claim. The technology is being built for the military, they note, and once it's delivered, it could easily be used to assist in these tasks. Follow the leader. Google's involvement in Project Maven follows the lead of Eric Schmidt, the chairman of Alphabet, of Alphabet Google's parent company. Since 2001X, Schmidt has led the Pentagon's Defense Innovation Board, which he says seeks to get the military up to speed with things which are going outside the military. In a speech last November about the board's work, Schmidt mentioned Project Maven twice and said, 
one of the most important points we made is that the military is not leading in artificial intelligence. Smith acknowledged a general concern in the tech community that the military-industrial complex is using their stuff to kill people incorrectly. It's essentially related to the history of the Vietnam War and the founding of the tech industry. Smith today, Smith's oddly detached comments embody the sort of abstract utilitarianism that assumes technological solutions are inherently beneficial. They exemplify the mindset Google's employees are now questioning. Mary Warham, a leader um, of the campaign to stop killer robots, told Alternet that the campaign wrote to Google last month seeking more information about Project Maven. We received a swift and friendly but vague response that did not address our questions, she said. I hope the company will realize the public relations benefits of speaking directly to the concerns over autonomy in weapon systems and publicly support the call to ban fully autonomous weapons, Wareham said. These questions are only going to intensify. So, and then there's a letter from Google employees talking about their concerns, which is valid. So whenever the military, because you have to remember, the military always looks to weaponize something. Do harm, to incapacitate, to destroy. They're not peacekeepers. That's what your local law enforcement is supposed to be for. They're supposed to be your first line of protection against rogue military operations on American soil. But most of those law enforcement officers have forgotten the oath that they swore, just like the military personnel who forgot the oath that they swore to the Constitution of the United States of America, because that is the government, not the placeholders that are there, but that document. And so what are, what are autonomous systems? Well, you take the man in the middle out. So you have a drone operator in a cargo container in the Nevada desert flying drones, you know, 10,000 miles away. Or maybe on American soil, stalking people because they're training personnel. Remember those people who used to talk about the satellites that were following them, the tinfoil hat people? Well, the military admitted that they were actually training personnel on American soil on how to track people. They weren't satellites, but that would be the only thing that most people could think about in the 80s, 70s and 80s, mainly the 80s. In 90s. Nobody heard of drones other than the people who were working on it, but the people, the victims who were being terrorized by them were all made fun of. The satellites weren't following them, the drones were. They were being used for target practice and terrorizing innocent people who were being blindsided by what the military was doing on American soil. No aliens, no reptilians, man-made technologies, classified technologies, to unsuspecting people who are being targeted so they could train their personnel on how to utilize and fly them. Innocent people running to law enforcement, local law enforcement, begging for their lives. Nobody believing them because the technology was not known. The satellite's not following you. It's a real simple premise. The people training in the 80s and 90s 
on how to fly drones and using American soil to train these personnel using innocent people to track everywhere they go under their surveillance. Now that is truth. So in this case, we're talking about robotic warfare, taking the man in the middle out now and allowing algorithms to determine whether you're good or bad and then using kamikaze-type drones to basically blow you to smithereens. That's robotic warfare. Artificial intelligence making the decision on who lives and who dies. But they're already doing that to some extent. It's called profiling. It's called everything in this country up for the auction of the assassin. Whoever has the money to pay for it can destroy anybody they want to. And actually, uh, a long time ago, um, uh, democracy now, but I knew about atom uh, um, this autonomous warfare. A lot of the targeting that happens through the electronic warfare, it, it transpires basically through automation, which means if I get zapped at the exact same time, say right before I'm drifting off to sleep and I get electrocuted, or they send a, a pulse through the back of my neck all the way down my central nervous system, most of it isn't a person doing it so much as how they automated that once my, my REM state or once my EEG signals get to a certain point, which is like drifting to sleep, they'll send a signal and it'll blast you awake. And what has that done? Well, it's destroyed my spine. Rapid degeneration of the L4, L5, and L5S1 with osteophytes, which is arthritis. Not because I sustained an injury. Or if I did, it probably wouldn't have manifested the way it has. But when you're sending signals through someone's central nervous system, you're causing damage to that person's human biology. And I have said this, and I will continue to say it, and I have documented it. My human biology is the greatest material evidence to the crimes state, corporate, and academia, sponsored, sanctioned, and covered up, have inflicted upon me. I don't think it. I know it. So you have to go back to Democracy Now!, but there was a, there several years ago, but Democracy Now!, there was that she won a um, uh, Nobel Prize. Uh, she goes into the war zones, and she was concerned about the new age of technology and robotic warfare. These are the lone voices in the wilderness who are telling you what's coming down the pike, just like targets. We've been telling people for years, this is what they're doing. But see, the people who inflicted will never admit that they were a part of it because then they would have to look in the mirrors and see what type of monsters they really are and what they're capable of doing, capable of doing to an innocent human being who was set up and scapegoated to take hits. So now I'm going to go, um, this is this new, this latest one that came out from Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. And this has to do with data mining 
and pulling information and manipulating people to think your way. Kind of like how they say the target is the enemy, therefore everybody should hate that person. And they'll give you all kinds of narratives, negative false light narratives, basically propaganda. It's a propaganda machine to manipulate people to act the way they want them to act. This is a military operation. Uh, you know, uh, farmed off to private security firms and tech. But what it's doing is it's manipulating people so that they don't even realize the truth. They always say the target doesn't know the truth, but let me tell you something. My website has a 90-plus percent accuracy rate. I know exactly what I'm talking about because every classified document that comes out and it validates what I already published shows me that I know exactly what I'm talking about. And when I call it, when I see it, I call it. And document it. Now, mind you, talk to you, for some reason, several uh, of my episodes, probably for about two years or more from the beginning, when I started documenting, suddenly can't be accessed. You can't erase. Because the truth is out there, as the X-Files says. But what is the truth? You know, philosophers talk about things like that. Well, if you call it and you publish it, and then you wait for the classified documents to come out to validate it, then that's pretty much the truth. So Schopenheimer, what did he say? All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it becomes self-evident. So I put it out there, and I just sit and wait, because I'm a patient woman. And then the classified document or the leak comes out at the highest levels, and it just validates what I've already published. So I do know what the truth is. But everybody else who sits there and listens and follows the leader and does not critically think, you have no idea what the truth is. You just follow your leader. And then you jump on board, and then you get radicalized into the mob mentality. And you think you know what truth is, and you have no idea that you guys were the real experiment. So this is, uh, and I'll play the clip from this gentleman, Wiley. I think it was MIT or something, and he was able to mine the data and, use, uh, and to start building algorithms. And the algorithms can spot. And then, oh, okay, we'll put these advertisements. You know, it's kind of like advertising. Only you're manipulating the psyche of people. It's psychological warfare, pure and concentrated. So this was uh, posted in The Guardian, um, let me see if I'm here, by Carol Cadwall-Adar, so C-A-D-W-A-L-L-A-D-R, from theguardian.com. And it says, I made Steve Bannon's psychological warfare tool meet the data war whistleblower. And then it says, meet the data war whistleblower. Sunday, 18 March, 
So under the information operations, I'm going to give you um, uh, their definition of psychological warfare. No, wait there. I'm sorry. It was psychological operations. DOD defines PSYOPs as – and actually, they don't call it that anymore. It's uh, MISO, MIFO, Military Information Specialist Operations. I've got it somewhere on my website. They were branded in 2010. There was a government document that came out, and I happened to find it because they, they, they don't have any shame. Because psychological means the head. So if you rebrand it, people don't realize that that's the exact same thing. It's the same with Narrative Network. <laughs> and I'll give you more information because I've covered shows on the Narrative Network and the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA, solicitation of the three uh, modalities of Narrative Networks. And there are teams, experts, in the ontology of a story slash propaganda. But see, instead of calling it propaganda, you call it a narrative, which is the same thing. You put it out there. And then you watch the rise to radicalization. And then watch those same people who you'd never guess be willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence against an unarmed, defenseless human being. And then you watch the rise to how they start enjoying it, how the mob mentality comes together. And then you understand places like, you know, where genocides and democides and ethnic cleansings transpire because of the radicalization of average people into a false belief that makes them willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence against someone who cannot defend themselves. So DOD defines PSYOP as planned operations to convey selected information to targeted foreign, and I put American in there, because my bottom line was they, they've been using the American soil community after community for their experiments. And I could tell them that they were successful. I hate to say it. Because everywhere I've moved and everywhere the targets move, within a short period of time, they have radicalized community members to be willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence. That's the rise to radicalism. And guess who's done it? Your own government. You keep blaming Russia and China. You need to look in your own backyard, because I've documented, and so have many other victims of targeting. Um, to targeted foreign or American audiences to influence their emotions, motives, objective, reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of foreign slash or American governments, organizations, groups, and or individuals within. Now, the uh, Department of Defense policy prohibits the use of psychological operations for targeting American audiences. Well, that went out the window a long time ago, mainly after 9-11. However, while military side products are intended for foreign targeted audience, Department of Defense also acknowledges that the global media may pick up some of these targeted messages and relay them back to the U.S. domestic audience. Therefore, a sharp distinction between foreign and domestic audiences cannot be maintained. This is the information operation that had five core military capabilities, psychological operations, military deception. Uh, deception guides an enemy or targeted person into making mistakes by presenting false information, images, or statements. Military deception is defined as actions executed to deliberately mislead the adversary or the targeted individual 
military decision makers with regard to friendly military capabilities, thereby causing the adversary to take or fail to take specific actions that will contribute to the success of friendly military operations. Operation security or OPSEC. OPSEC is defined as a process of identifying information that is critical to friendly operations and which can enable adversaries to attack operational vulnerabilities. Uh, computer network operations. So this was the advent of, the, of the, the digital age. You know, pretty much the 80s were happening, but then the 90s really came on full speed. And then the wireless technology. And suddenly, the Department of Defense realized that they needed to dominate the electromagnetic spectrum. And thus, in 2003, this classified, which was, which was unclassified in 2006, came out. And it was called uh, the Information Operation Roadmap. And with it, there was actually, and I found, but I don't know what happened to it because they steal things from my desktop all the time. Uh, it was the technological means by which to make the domination of the electromagnetic spectrum a reality. But what they were short of was trained operatives who were experts in one or more of the five core military capabilities. What better breeding ground to understand people than the United States, which is a vast melting pot of ethnicities, homogenous communities? I've already documented it. So then they go into computer network operations, computer net or CNO. Computer network operations include the capability to, one, attack and disrupt enemy computer networks, two, defend our own military information, and three, exploit enemy computer networks through intelligence collections, usually done through use of computer code and computer application. The Joint Information Operation Warfare Command and the Joint Functional Component Command for Network Warfare are responsible for the evolving mission of computer network attacks. The exact capabilities of the JIOWC and JFCCNW are highly classified, and Department of Defense officials have reportedly never admitted to launching a cyber attack against an enemy. However, many computer security officials believe the organization can develop networks and uh, destroy networks and penetrate enemy computers to steal or manipulate data and take down enemy command and control systems. So remember, this was a 2003 classified document. And they were already talking about the capabilities they had. So when you think you know something, you don't know jack fucking shit. Electronic warfare. EW is defined by the Department of Defense as military actions involving the direction or control of electromagnetic spectrum energy to deceive or attack the enemy. High-powered electromagnetic energy can be used as a tool to overload or disrupt the electrical circuitry of almost any equipment that uses transistors, microcircuits, or wire metal, uh, metal wiring. Dire directed energy weapons amplify or disrupt the power of an electromagnetic field by projecting enough energy to overheat and permanently damage circuitry or jam, overpower, and misdirect the processing in computerized systems. Domination of the electromagnetic spectrum. Department of Defense now emphasizes maximum control of the entire electromagnetic spectrum, including the capability to disrupt all current and future communication systems, sensors, and weapon systems. This may include navigation warfare, navigation warfare, including methods for offensive space operations where global positioning satellites may be disrupted, methods to control adversaries' radio systems, methods to place false images onto radar systems, block directed energy weapons, and misdirect unmanned aerial 
or drones, basically UAVs, or robots operated by adversaries. Uh, electromagnetic non-kinetic weapons. So not, now we're getting into the directed energy. You know the thing the FBI said that didn't happen to those American diplomats and Central Intelligence Agency officers in Cuba. You know how they pretend like it doesn't exist? Well, you know what? You're full of shit, FBI, and fuck you for not helping American citizens who came forward to you for help. Electromagnetic non-kinetic weapons. Non-kinetic, non-kinetic weapons emit directed Electromagnetic energy that, in short, pulses may permanently disable enemy computer circuitry. For example, an electromagnetic non-kinetic weapon mounted in an aircraft or on the ground might disable an approaching enemy missile by directing a high-powered microwave beam that burns out the circuitry or that sends a false telemetry signal to misdirect the targeting computer. This is the key. Also, at reduced power, Electromagnetic non-kinetic weapons can also be used as a non-lethal method for crowd control. What does that mean? That means using directed energy to incapacitate personnel. Personnel. When you incapacitate personnel, that means human beings. With a lower probability of fatality than a kinetic weapon, like a bullet or a missile or a bomb, or a baton, or a bat. That's kinetic energy hitting you. Non-kinetic is a different form, but it still has the capacity to incapacitate personnel, or as they say, as a non-lethal method for crowd control. So why am I talking about that? Well, because they lie. And they make up stories so that people will believe them because it's a person who abuses their position of power, authority, and their expertise, sweeps down into communities, and basically sells propaganda to recruit their assets, which are civilian, target audiences. How do you manipulate them to get them to do what you want them to do, when you want them to do, so it becomes almost autonomous to those individuals? No matter how much proof you show them, will not be able to see it because they've been brainwashed into submission. You know, they always talk about a target being weak, but that's not true. I call the perpetrator community, those civilians that are recruited into this cult of personalities, the one core capability people, which means they couldn't even make it past psychological operations and psychological manipulation before they were willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence. And that violence could be, you know, a smear campaign. But it's trying to destroy somebody else based on what someone else told them. That's manipulation. That's psychological warfare. That's narrative network teams coming in to manipulate local law enforcement, judges, district attorneys, Law enforcement, attorneys, offices, non-government organizations, they're infiltrating everything. But if you understand how to recognize these people, then you can start weeding them out. It's not the target who has the problem. It's the society that surrounds them that is unwilling to utilize critical thinking skills 
to source more material and to ask the right questions before they jump on board and become the mob mentality. And what ends up happening is even on my website, I talk about how it's a slow process till you get to the point where, you know, the first kill is the hardest. But after that, you'll slaughter people by the millions simply because someone told you they were bad. That's cult mentality. That's groupthink mentality. So now let's get back to Steve Bannon. So I made Steve Bannon's psychological warfare tool. Meet the data war whistleblower. This is from theguardian.com, United Kingdom. Um, Sunday, 18 March 2018 by Carol C-A-D-W-A-L-L-A-D-R. For more than a year, we've been investigating Cambridge Analytica and its links to the Brexit, or Brexit, right? Brexit leave campaign in the United Kingdom and Team Trump in the United States presidential election. Now, 28-year-old Christopher Wiley goes on the record to discuss his role in hijacking the profiles of millions of Facebook u- users in order to target the U.S. electorate. So I'm only going to read part of the article, and then I'm going to play the video because he actually um, he spoke. On, he, they did a 13-minute um, interview with him. The first time I met Christopher Wiley, he didn't have pink hair. That comes later, as does his mission to rewind time to put the genie back in the bottle. By the time I met him in person, I'd already been talking to him on a daily basis for hours at a time. On the phone, he was clever, funny, bitchy, profound, intellectually ravenous, compelling, a master storyteller, a a politicker, a data science nerd. Two months later, when he arrived in London from Canada, he was all those things in the flesh, and yet the flesh was impossibly young. He was 27 then. He's 28 now. A fact that has always seemed glaringly at odds with what he has done. He may have played a pivotal role in the monumentous political upheaval of 2016. At the very least, he played a consequential role. Consequential role. At 24, he came up with an idea that led to the foundation of a company called Cambridge Analytica, a data analytic firm that went on to claim a major role in the Leave campaign for Britain's European Union membership referendum and later became a key figure in digital operations during the Trump's election campaign. Or, as Wiley describes it, he was the gay Canadian vegan who somehow ended up creating Steve Bannon's psychological warfare mindfuck tools, quote-unquote. In 2014, Steve Bannon, then executive chairman of the alt-right news network Breitbart, was Wiley's boss, and Robert Mercer, the U a secretive U.S. hedge fund billionaire and Republican donor with Cambridge Analytica's investor. And the idea they brought into was to bring big data and social media to an established military methodology, information, operations, quote, unquote. So remember my website, published 2011, sent to Jeremy Scahill about the one-stop shop, 2010. We're in 2018, and what is he talking about? How old was this guy 12 years ago, 13 years ago? He was a kid. I'm already published. Into, Into was to bring big data and social media to an established military methodology, information operations, then turn it on 
the United States electorate. It was Wiley who came up with the idea and oversaw its realizations. And it was Wiley who, last spring, became my source. In May 2017, I wrote an article headlined, The Great Britain Brexit Robbery, which set out a scheme of threads that linked uh, Brexit to Trump to Russia. Wiley was one of a handful of individuals who provided the evidence behind it. I found him via another Cambridge Analytica ex-employee lying low in Canada, guilty, brooding, indignant, confused. I haven't talked about this to anyone, he said at the time, and then he couldn't stop talking. By the time Steve Bannon had become Trump's chief strategist, Cambridge Analytica's parent company, SCL, had won contracts with the United States State Department and was pitching to the Pentagon. And Wiley was genuinely freaked out. It's insane, he told me one night. The company has created psychological profiles of 230 million Americans, and now they want to work with the Pentagon. It's like Nixon on steroids. He ended up showing me a tranche of documents that laid out the secret workings behind Cambridge Analytica, and in the months following publication of my article in May, it was revealed that the company had reached out to WikiLeaks to help distribute Hillary Clinton's stolen emails in 2016. And then we watched as it became a subject of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into possible Russian collusion in the United States election. The Observer also received the first of three letters from Cambridge Analytica threatening to sue Guardian News and media for defamation. We are still only just starting to understand the maelstrom of forces that came together to create the conditions for what Mueller confirmed last month was information warfare. Okay, listen to these key words. Because if you're a smart person, you'd have figured it out. But if you're a perpetrator, it'll never register in your brains because you're lost causes. So information warfare means putting the information out there the way you want it and then to manipulate people to believe that bullshit. That's the lay way of talking about it. But to deploy and execute military operations in an offensive manner against your own people is treason. Period. I don't talk about executing people for no reason at all. I believe you execute people who commit treason and sedition against their own people. It's a real simple premise. So Wiley oversaw what may have been the first critical breach. So then the article goes on. I'm not going to read it all because it's really long. I have a link in my um, on the uh, the description of my show, and then I also have the link inside that you can go to the chat grabber and pull it. What I'm going to do is play the interview. Uh, with Christopher Wiley and what he talks about, including the psychological warfare. Man is an ex-employee of Cambridge Analytica. How do you feel about your own involvement in this man? I mean, do you feel responsible for what happens? Um, yeah, I do. I do feel responsible for it. Um, and uh, it's something that I regret, and that's partly why I'm here talking to you, so that I can talk about it, so that, so that people can know about what this company does, um, what this company is. Throughout history, you have examples of 
think that, you know, yes, it was a grossly unethical experiment because you were playing with an entire country, psychology of an entire country without their consent or awareness. And not only are you, like, playing with the psychology of an entire nation, you're playing with the psychology of an entire nation in the context of a democratic process. I'm Christopher Wiley. I'm a data scientist, and I help set up Cambridge Analytica. It's incorrect to call Cambridge Analytica a, a purely sort of data science company or an algorithm, you know, company. You know, it is a full-service propaganda machine. If you can control all of the streams of information around your opponents, you can influence how they perceive that battle space, and you can then influence how they're going to behave. Alexander Nix, where do I begin? Um, he is uh, not the easiest person to work for. Um, he's, he's ambitious. Um, he cares more, I think, about winning than what we actually did at the company. He's an, an upper-class Etonian who expects people to follow him wherever he goes. When I first met him, I knew he was Steve from America. Um, and then later I got told he <clears throat> was the editor of Breitbart. I'd heard of Breitbart, you know, it's this blog for angry white men to rant about whatever. Steve Bannon saw himself as an intellectual. We would need to sort of present ourselves in a way that was more academic, more academic, more sort of ideas focused and all that. Alexander realized that needed uh, a Cambridge site. And so we set up uh, a fake office in Cambridge. And whenever Steve would come, we would bring a bunch of people from the London office, plop them into the Cambridge office, and give Steve the impression that we had a lot of our operations based out of the university. He changed how he perceived who we are and what we and it was his idea, Steve's idea, to give the company the name Cambridge Analytica. This sort of warped perception is infused into the name Cambridge Analytica itself. Steve Stanis, basically. In a way, he was, he was a target audience of one. And he changed his perception of reality. And we changed his perception of what, who we were and what we were doing and, and what the situation that he was in. And then from there, it was like he took that to, then, to America to change the why he was interested in this is because he followed this, this idea of, of Breitbart doctrine, which is that if you want to change politics, you first have to change culture because politics flows from culture. And so what I said is that if you want to change culture, you have to first understand what the units of culture are. People are the units of culture. If you want to change politics, you first have to change people to change the culture. Do you know fit in with, you know, he's... Um he has quite a famous expression about politics being war. If you want to fight a battle, or you want to fight a war, you want to win a war, you need weapons for that. You want a cultural weapon, and we could, we could build them for him. But obviously, he needed money to do it. So he took it to Robert Mercer. Who's Robert Mercer? He is an American billionaire in New York. 
before he was before he got rich uh, through algorithms. Alexander Nix uh, is with me, and he starts with his sort of like razzle dazzle. Uh, we work for the Pentagon. We work for you know, MMT. Um, I mean, I, we, we were solely focused on getting the data and doing the experiments. How many 
type of developing three D printing. Um, tens of millions, upwards of 50, 60 million profiles were collected in a two or three month period. When Alexander Nix told the parliamentary inquiry on fake news that Cambridge Analytica had never used Facebook data, at least from when I was there, that's just fundamentally not true because we spent a million dollars harvesting tens of millions of Facebook profiles and those profiles were used as the basis of the algorithms that became the foundation of Cambridge Analytica itself. The company itself was founded on using Facebook data. So you've harvested my data and then you've used that to target me in ways that I can't see and that I don't understand. Yeah, so we would know, we would know what kinds of messaging you would be susceptible to, including the framing of it, topics, the content, the tone, whether it's scary or not, that kind of thing. So what you would be susceptible to and, and where you're going to consume that. And then how many times do we need to touch you with that in order to change how you, how you think about something. In addition to having, you know, data scientists and psychologists and strategists, they also have an entire team of, you know, creatives, designers, videographers, photographers. They then create that content. That gets then sent to a targeting team, which then, you know, injects it into the internet. Websites will be created, blogs will be created, whatever it is that we think this target profile will be receptive to. We will create content on the internet for them to find. And then they see that and they click it and they go down the rabbit hole um, until they start to think that, you know, something, until they start to think something. Instead of standing in the public square and saying what you think and then letting people come and listen to you and have that shared experience as to what your, what your narrative is, you are whispering into the ear of each and every voter and you may be whispering one thing to this voter and another thing to another voter, fragmenting society um, in a way where we don't have any more shared experiences and we don't have any more shared understanding. Don't have any more shared understanding. How can we be in a functioning society? Thinking about that now, do you think that did change American or played a part in it? Um, I think it probably played a part. I can't. I can't say, you know, for sure whether, you know, what what was the defining what was the defining factor in in you know getting Trump elected or growing the alt right. If you want to fundamentally change society, you first have to break it. It's only when you break it is when you can remold the pieces into your vision of a new of a new society. This was the weapon that Steve Bannon wanted to build to fight his culture war. So who do you trust? I I I, I oh, this is such a hard question to answer. Who do I trust? Um I don't want to say I don't trust anyone, but I, do you know what I would say? I would say I, 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 I go through life with a healthy dose of skepticism, and I think that, that a healthy dose of skepticism as to what you're seeing and what you're hearing and who you're talking to is, is, is that's the way to go through life. So that was the interview with um, 
Wiley, Christopher Wiley, about how they deployed and executed these type of operations. Um, let me see. So this was another one from Wired.com, and this has to do with um, the Cambridge Analytica and Facebook issue. This was uh, 320, uh, March 20th, 2018 by Nicholas Thompson and Fred Vogelstein, Wired.com. Uh, Hurricane flattens Facebook. David Paul Morrison, a Bloomberg Getty, and two weeks ago, Facebook learned that the New York Times. That article kind of disappeared. Hold on. Uh, Hurricane flattens Facebook. And it says, two weeks ago, Facebook learned that the New York Times Guardian and Observer were working on blockbuster stories based on interviews with a man named Christopher Wiley. The core of the tale was familiar, but the details were new. And now the scandal was attached to a charismatic face with a top of pink hair. Four years ago, a slug of Facebook data on 50 million Americans were sucked down by a United Kingdom academic named Alexander Kogan and wrongly sold to Cambridge Analytica. Wiley, who worked at the firm and has never talked publicly before, showed the newspapers a trove of emails and invoices to prove his allegations. Worse, Cambridge appears to have lied to Facebook about entirely deleting the data. Or did Facebook already know? You have to understand the story about Facebook. There's a person, um, Peter Thiel, and he sits on the board of Facebook, but Peter Thiel is a part of Palantir, which does Fortune 500 in um, working with the Defense Department and other government spy agencies, so to speak, and they data mine information. And they were a part of a group that was doing was going to do a hit job. Um, they were called Team Themis. And this is all source documents on people like Glenn Greenwald and others who were exposing some of this stuff. Uh, worse, Cambridge appears to have lied to Facebook about entirely deleting the data. To Facebook, before the stories went live, the scandal appeared bad, but manageable. The worst deeds had been done outside of Facebook and long ago, plus the weather forecasters in the Caribbean, in the Caribbean, Facebook had been busy lately. Just in the past month, they've had to deal with scandals created by, by Vacus Friday tweets uh, from, an ad from an ad executive porn, the darn Russian bots, angry politicians in Sri Lanka, and even the United Nations. All of those crises have passed with limited damage, and perhaps that's why the company appears to have underestimated the power of storm clouds moving in. Facebook has burned its fingers on issues of data privacy frequently in its 14-year history, but this time it was different. Friday night, the company made its first move, jumping out in front of the bad news reports to publish its own blog post announcing that it was suspending Cambridge Analytica's use of the platform. It also made one last stern appeal to ask The Guardian not to use the word breach in its story. The word, the company argued, was inaccurate. Data had been misused, but moats and walls had not been breached. The Guardian apparently did not find that argument sympathetic or per persuasive. On Saturday, its story appeared revealed 
50 million Facebook profiles harvested for Cambridge Analytica in major data breach. The The crisis was familiar in a way. Facebook has blurred its fingers on issues of data privacy frequently in its 14-year history, but this time it was different. The data leakage hadn't helped uh, Unilever sell mayonnaise. It appeared to have helped Donald Trump sell a political vision of division and antipathy. The news made it look as if Facebook's data controls were lax and that its executives were indifferent. Around the world, lawmakers, regulators, and Facebook users began asking very publicly how they could support a platform that didn't do more to protect them. Soon, powerful politicians were chiming in and demanding to hear from Zuckerberg. As the storm built over the weekend, Facebook executives, including Mark Zuckerberg and Sherilyn Sandberg, strategized and argued late into the night. They knew that the public was hammering them, but they also believed that the fault lay much more with Cambridge Analytica than with them. Still, there were four main questions that consumed them. How could they tighten up the system to make sure this didn't happen again? What should they do about all the calls for Zuckerberg to testify? Should they sue Cambridge Analytica? And what could they do about psychologist Joseph Chancellor, who had helped found Kogan's firm, and who now worked on all places of all places at Facebook. So they're using psychologists, you know, people who understand the mind, neuroscientists, neurologists, and how to manipulate people. By Monday, Facebook remained frozen, and Zuckerberg and Sandberg stayed silent. Then, late in the afternoon in Menlo Park, more bad news came. The New York Times reported that Alex Stamos, The company's well-respected chief of security had grown dissatisfied with the top of senior management and was planning to exit in a few months. Some people had known this for a while, but it was still a very bad look. You don't want news about your head of data security bailing when you're having a crisis about how to secure your data. And then news broke that Facebook had been denied in its efforts to get access to Cambridge Analytica servers. The United Kingdom's Information Commissioner Office which had stated an investigation would handle that. A company-wide Q&A was called for Tuesday, but for some reason it was led by Facebook's legal counsel, not its leaders, both of whom had remained deafeningly silent and both of whom reportedly skipped the sessions. Meanwhile, the stock had collapsed, chopping $36 billion of the company's market value on Monday. By midnight, by mid-Tuesday morning, it had fallen 10% since the scandal broke, but what the company expected to be a tough summer storm had turned into a Category 5 hurricane. So what it is is it's talking about Facebook claiming that, you know, oh, they misused the data. You know, yeah, we, you know how they sell it to third parties and you agreed to it. But we have to understand is Facebook has been caught before doing this type of stuff. So it's not, not new if you're someone who actually, you know, reads. Um, this goes back. So now we're, now we're going back in time. And this was 2014. Now this was in The Guardian, but it was all over the United States. Facebook apologizes for psychological experiments on users. The second most powerful executive at the company, Sherilyn Sandberg, says experiments were poorly communicated, quote unquote, by Samuel Gibbs, Wednesday, 2 July 2014, theguardian.com. Facebook's second most powerful executive, Sheryl Sandberg, has apologized for the conduct of secret psychological tests on nearly 700,000 users in 2012, which prompted outrage from users and experts alike. 
the experiment revealed by a scientific paper published in the March issue of Proceeding of National Academy of Science hid a small percentage of emotional words from people's news feeds without their knowledge to test what effects that had on the status on the status or likes that they then posted or reacted to. This was part of ongoing research companies do to test different products and that was what it was. It was poorly communicated, said Sandberg, Facebook's chief operating officer while in New Delhi. And for the that <coughs> communication, we apologize. We never meant to upset you. The statement by Sam Sandberg, Deputy of Chief Executive uh, Deputy of Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg, is a marked climb down from its insistence on Tuesday that the experiment was covered by its terms of service. The secret test means that the company faces an inquiry from the United Kingdom's Information Commissioner, while the publishers of the paper have said they will investigate whether any ethical breaches took place. Psychological tests on human subjects have to have informed consent from participants, but independent researchers and Facebook have disagreed on whether its terms of service implicitly covers such use. Facebook's first public comment on the experiments came as the social network attempted to woo Indian ad advertisers as part of its efforts to tailor adverts to users outside the U.S. The aim of the government-sponsored study was to see whether positive or negative words and messages would lead to positive or negative content in status updates. The company's researchers decided after tweaking the contents of people's news feeds that there was emotional contagion across the social network by which people who saw one emotion being expressed would themselves express similar emotions. We take privacy and security at Facebook really seriously because that is something that allows people to share opinions and emotions, said Sandberg. The United Kingdom Data Protection Watchdog, the Information Commission Office, or ICO, is investigating the experiment. So they're experimenting on people. Can we change their opinion? 2012. Nothing new. But people always think that they know better than somebody else. So what it, what it, what it's trying to say is that they're using these advanced algorithms to profile people, and then figure out their likes and dislikes. And you can use the good and make it look bad, and you can take the bad and make it look worse. But what you're doing when you use it in an offensive manner is to harm people or to manipulate them. You know, look up the word cultural hegemony. So, you know, as, as innocent as they proclaim, you've got to wonder about certain things, especially as with Facebook. Okay, so now let's move back to, you know, this is one, um, this person sourced their material, but it's a blog, it's called Social Media, Facebook's Fascinating and Disturbing, in brackets, History of Secret Experiments by Anna Z-H-U-K-O-V-A, April 27, 2017. To make money, Facebook doesn't just need users, it needs users that are active and engaged. It needs to know not just what link you're likely to click, but also what makes you more or less likely to click it. How does Facebook gather that kind of information? By looking at your daily Facebook activity, for one, analyzing the posts and pages that you like, and by running psychological experiments. Wait, what? Question mark. Where the wild things are. 
Yes, Facebook has been conducting social experiments on its users, and yes, chances are you've involuntarily taken part at some point. Is there a way to know for sure? Question mark. Not really. But we've put together a list of Facebook experiments on users that are now known to be public. Have a look through these and see if anything rings a bell. One, massive scale emotional contagion. When 2012, number of, number of people involved, 689,000. What happened? Facebook data scientists manipulated the news feeds of almost 690,000 users, showing some of the more positive updates and other more negative ones, all to see how it affected the user's mood. If there was a week in January 2012 when you were only seeing dead kittens or cute puppies in your feed, you might have been part of the study. The real, real mood swing, however, happened when the experiment became public. Facebook experiments on users having sex with your iPod and more. So that was another one. The study was described by the public as disturbing, mainly because of the ethics of the experiment. After all, it involved hundreds of thousands of users unknowingly participating in a study that may have made them either happier or more depressed than usual. Well, Facebook found out our emotions can indeed be affected by what we're exposed to on Facebook. Did Facebook violate your privacy? Many people say that it did, and that we're inclined to agree, even if this type of manipulation can't be classified as privacy violation, it definitely seems unethical. Two, social influence in social advertising. When? 2011. Number of people involved, 29 million. What happened? In this study, Facebook was trying to find out if the ads work better on you if your friends endorse them. They showed the users two different types of ads and with and without endorsements like Peter Parker liked this and then measured how many clicks they got. What Facebook found out, the stronger your bond with a friend is, the more likely you are to click the link. Did Facebook violate your privacy? No. This is the kind of study that you're, you're, you'd expect Facebook conducting to improve their marketing strategies. Three, exploring requests for help on Facebook. When? Summer 2012. Number of people involved, 20,000. What happened? Facebook researchers singled out status updates with requests in them, like, can someone recommend a movie for tonight? Question mark, quotes. Or, I need, to ride to, I need a ride to work tomorrow. They were interested in those regularly asking for help. Uh, Facebook researchers singled out status of, okay, I'm sorry, what uh, Facebook found out. Users who have a lot of friends on Facebook but visit the network less often are more likely to ask for help. Did Facebook violate your privacy? No. So it's like, you know, it's a catch-22, right? They're, they're messing with your head, but then they're saying, well, that's not, you know, that's a subjective thing. No, it's not. It's pretty simple when you start bombarding someone, start threatening them. And you just don't fall into the threats. Do what you think you need to do. Because I know what I'm doing, and I'm staying on track. Uh, the spread of emotion via Facebook. When? Sometime before 2012, when it went public. Number of people involved, 151 million. What happened? Facebook was trying to find out if your emotional state affects your friends. They looked at 1 million user status updates, both positive and negative, and then looked at the positivity or negativity of the posts of those users, those users, 150 million friends. What Facebook found out, 
During the three days of running this study, the researchers found that the friends of the users with positive updates were suppressing their negative posts and vice versa. If you posted something positive on Facebook, one out of every 100 friends who wouldn't have otherwise, according to the study, will do the same within three days. Did Facebook violate privacy? Could go either way. The study is believed to have led to the big emotion, emotional manipulation experiment mentioned earlier in the article. Five, self-censorship on Facebook. When? July 2012. Number of people involved, almost 4 million. What happened? Facebook tracked every entry or of more. Wait. Facebook tracked every entry of more than five characters that didn't get posted within 10 minutes. What Facebook found out, 71% of the users self-censored, drafting comments that they never posted. Many others edited their posts before sending them out to social networks. Did Facebook violate your privacy? Possibly. Six, selection effects in online sharing. When? Two months in 2012. Number of people involved, over 1 million. The main purpose of this study was to find out whether broadcasting your intentions to buy something will have an effect on your friend's buying interest. Facebook offers special deals like free items to certain users. If you accepted an offer, it would either be auto-shared so all your friends could see it or you'd be given a choice in the matter. The second group got a button they could click to choose whether they wanted want their offers broadcasted. What Facebook found out, more offers get claimed when everyone in your friends list gets to see them. Did Facebook violate your privacy? Yes. Auto-sharing invasive and frankly creepy seven the role of social networks in information diffusion when summer and fall 2010 number of people involved 253 million half of all facebook users at the time what happened in order to find out how information spread on facebook researchers randomly assigned 75 million urls a share quote unquote or no share status the link included anything from news articles to jobs those with the no share status would, wouldn't appear in your friend's news feeds at all. Facebook wanted to know if the censored information would still find a way to the surface. What Facebook found out, big surprise, users are more likely to spread the information that they see their friends sharing. Also, according to the study, your distant friends are more likely to expose you to new information than your close friends. Did Facebook violate privacy? Definitely social influence, and political mobilization. When? United States midterm elections of 2010. Number of people involved, 61 million. What happened? In 2010, just before the midterm elections, Facebook researchers planted an I voted button at the top of the user's newsfeed along with the information about their polling place. You could also see the names of your friends who had clicked the button. The researchers then checked public voting records to see which of the subjects actually voted. What Facebook found out, can Facebook encourage people to vote? It appears so. Users were more likely to click the I voted button if they saw their friends' names next to it. Researchers found that people who got the I voted message in their newsfeed were 0.39% more likely to have actually voted. Those seem like small percentages, but with the number of people involved in the experiment, that makes 340,000 possible votes that may never have otherwise happened. Did Facebook violate your privacy? Maybe not. Important conclusion. Can Facebook get away with this? Yes, Facebook Facebook doesn't need you to sign consent forms as you already agreed to the site's data policy when you created your account. A more important question is, 
what can you do to protect yourself and your privacy? This is something we've discussed before, and the options include paying attention to what you see in your feed, using alternative applications, and cutting your Facebook use. However, this debate is still very much open. So what it's showing is that this this Cambridge Analytica and Facebook or any social media is not a new thing. Or that it hasn't, you know, everyone's shocked about it, but what you don't realize is this has come out. They have been caught. They manip- they're using, they're finding ways to manipulate people. Okay. <clears throat> so now I'm going to give you some information. You know, psychological operations in Spain. So this is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. This has been archived by Dr. Justin Sanchez. It's called Narrative Networks. Why do people accept and act on certain kinds of information while dismissing others? Why are some narratives seemed successful at building support for terrorism? What role can narratives play in causing and helping to treat post-traumatic stress disorder? These questions deal with the role narratives play in human psychology and sociology and their answers have strategic implications for defense missions. DARPA, or the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, launched the Narrative Network Program to understand how narratives influence human cognition and behavior and apply those findings in international security context. The program aims to address the factors that contribute to radicalization, violent social mobilization, insurgency, and terrorism among foreign populations and to to support conflict prevention and resolution effective communications, and innovative PTSD treatment. Narratives may consolidate memory, shape emotions, cue heuristic and biases in judgment, and influence group distinction. To determine their influence on cognitive function requires a working theory of narratives and understanding of what role they play in security context and an examination of how to systematically analyze narratives and their psychological and neurobiological impact. Narrative Network has three parallel tracks of research and development. Develop quantitative analytic tools to study narratives and their effects on human behavior in security context. Analyze the neurobiological impact of narratives on hormones and neurotransmitters, reward processing and emotion cognition interaction, and develop models and simulations of narrative influence in social and environmental context, develop sensors to determine their impact on individuals and groups, and suggest doctrinal modifications. So that was kind of what they were talking about. I've also linked the... um, I thought I did. Uh, it was the, it's the, there was actually the DARPA, um, uh, it was the solicitation for the narrative networks or the PDF file to talk about what they do. So the first thing they do is they, they solicit universities, so state, corporate, and academia, and they say, this is what we want to do. We want, you know, like a malleant detector. That's what we're trying to get ultimately through artificial intelligence, right? Can we see the rise to radicalism? What parts of the brains fire up that are unique to some ethnicities and or are they the same in the general areas? So what you do is you use American soil as your laboratory. You scapegoat an individual. You start selling the, ner- the negative false light narrative about an individual. 
you get people, as I've read through Facebook and, you know, manipulation of emotions and Cambridge Analytica and this Christopher Wiley, how he explained it. And you say, this person is bad. And then we have proof. So now we want you to target that person. But first you have to radicalize them into extremism, utilizing negative false light narratives or propaganda. We're seeing that all over the place now. What is the truth? But your military has been doing it for years. That's archived. So they were soliciting state corporate and academia to say, okay, we want you to do one of three things. You know, you solicit, you write a grant, and we'll give you money. Come up with stories so that you could radicalize your target audience. Members of the general population. Tell them X, Y, and Z is bad. It's a hearts and mind campaign. We're the good guys, remember? We're doing it for a noble cause to advance science and technology for the greater good, to protect your community. Unlimited funding. You can shape any narrative. This person is good. This group is good. Those people are bad. And without the ability to critically think and to source additional pieces of information instead of following the leaders, you heard what I read. Oh, people, if their friend voted, then they'll go vote. If their friend liked it, then they'll like it. So it's always following something or somebody without independent critical thinking. Let's all jump on board. And so by soliciting this and these narrative networks, what you're really doing is you're shaping the narrative what you want people to believe. So the lone voices in the wilderness telling you they're manipulating you. They're using these type of psychological manipulation, cultural hegemony. Are you not awake? And instead, people are unwilling to see it. But the people who've perpetrated and committed the atrocities because they've been radicalized into extremism who are willing to commit indiscriminate forms of violence against another human being. They'll never admit to it because they're too far gone, because they've been indoctrinated into a false belief system. They are willing to commit the indiscriminate acts of violence. But the main reason, and you should, you should uh, watch this um, documentary, it has to do with genocide. Goldenhagen, I think his name is. And in every case of genocide or ethnic cleansing or democide, which is politically motivated killing of your own citizens, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Once it's been proven that the people who committed the atrocities against a fellow human being are completely exposed, the perpetrators will still blame the victims because they can't look in the mirror at who they are. 
and what they've done. They are willing to go out and keep blaming the victims of the atrocities they committed because they're cowards. And they'll never be able to face themselves. So they're willing to continue to blame. Because looking in the mirror will show them a reflection of the monsters that they truly are. Nobody held a gun to their head and told them they had to do this. Even a person who is coerced still can say no. But the victims don't have that luxury. They just keep being bombarded and threatened. And so you have to stand up against the threat. So here's my message to Robert Talbot. Go get your lawyers. I'm not backing down. I don't care what extent of the law you think you're coming after me with. Don't ever threaten me in writing. And that's what happens. The bully pulpit comes out. They use their money to try to squash you to try to threaten you. I've got it in writing today. Perfect for me. So for these type of people, you can't back down. If they think they need to do that, then go for it. And let's go to court. I don't have a problem going to court. I never have from the very beginning of my targeting. I don't care what you think you have Let's go to court and let's break it all down. So this thing is about manipulation. So that I know I take you back to 2010 or 2000 and these things that are going on, right? About social, you know, cultural hegemony and social manipulation and following the leaders. Now I'm going to go back to my website that was published in 2011. But before that, in 2010, I broke it down. I sent it to the Department of Defense Inspector General for Waste, Fraud, and Abuse about these type of operations being deployed and executed on American soil, manipulating their target audiences to turn them and radicalize them to believe that they could commit indiscriminate acts of violence and vandalism and torture to blitz somebody and terrorize their life. Or as the GCHQ said, we can take paranoia to a whole nother level and then pretend like you didn't do anything. So there was two. The very first one was called My Theory on uh, Organized Stalking and Electronic um, Harassment. So people like me and others, you know, were already talking about this stuff. This is what they're doing. They're destroying people's lives. So it says, my theory on gang stalking, organized stalking, electronic uh, harassment target practice practice for future domestic and global operations and to recruit and train the new generation of operative spies and assassins. 
Uh, fruit of the poisonous tree is the legal metaphor in the United States used to describe evidence that is obtained illegally. The logic of the terminology is that if the source of the evidence, the tree, is tainted, then anything gained from it, the fruit, is as well. The principle that prohibits the use of secondary evidence in trial that was culled directly from primary evidence derived from an illegal search and seizure. Not a single targeted individual would or could become targeted without having first and foremost had a targeted hit or contract of experimental destruction placed against their living lives by state agencies, corporate corporations, institutions, civilian organizations, and or individuals within. From this point, state and or corporate-sponsored professional hit squad, terrorist assassins, not unlike King Famous, are deployed. Hitmen are professionals with specialized skills hired to kill or destroy a selected target. In the case of targeted individuals, it is called slow kill via the 21st century version of McCarthy-era blacklisting by way of systematic destruction to character, credibility, reputation, careers, finances, relationships, living situations, quality of life, health, and ultimately shortening the quantity of life the targeted individual has left due to the insidious violence inflicted upon every aspect of their living lives by the state and or corporate-sponsored professional hit squads coming from white and blue-collar America via the help of their civilian recruits. Most of this is done via slander and libel campaign, so if the target comes forward to proper authorities, these authorities will deny and deprive these targets of their fundamental rights and liberties. By using their expertise in, in expertise in military and other national security agency tactics and techniques in information operations, psychological warfare, military deception, and enhanced interrogations via the use of cognitive neurotechnology. So they've weaponized neuroscience. And part of this Cambridge Analytica and these other groups of neuroscientists, because they're studying the brain and how the brain, you know, reacts, what synapses fire. You could build um, uh, off modality systems. That's what the narrative network was about. First, present a story. Second, study the rise to radicalism as you keep feeding them the negativity about, say, a community member. Okay? Watch these normal people turn to the point where they're willing to commit indiscriminate acts of violence. Then, you've studied the psychology and the sociology of the story, the ontology of the story. Next, you build off-system modalities or simulations which means that first you get the victim or a scapegoat. And then you say, this person, blah, 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 you know, is a satanic worshiper, is a pedophile, is whatever, is a drug dealer, is, is this, is that. And you sell that story to all these people. You sell it to, well, I'll, I'll explain it in my one-stop shop. And then what happens is you see how they, they rise, but you're studying the neurobiological effects. What are the synapses in the brain that rise? What happens when they start enjoying inflicting harm on another human being? How they start laughing and thinking it's funny to do something like that to another person. That's the mob mentality. And start building neurocognitive or the next, next, next generation of biometrics. Facial, optical, brain, you know, emotion, vocal to brain recognition. The brain. The Brain Project. Like the human genome, you know, it's all about the brain. And then how do you build these so-called malleant detectors, malicious intent? But I've already refuted it because I said, okay, so you have malicious intent. And you get a call and there's a relative and you need to get on an airplane and fly because there might not be much time left. 
So you come home from work and you find your spouse in bed with another person, but you don't have time to get into an argument with that person because you got to get on this plane. So you grab your stuff and you say, I'll deal with this later, but you're fuming all the way to the airport. Every kind of horrible thoughts going through your head. So you walk into the airport and they have these malleant detectors and they're looking at your facial and your optical, you know, your eyes and your, your stance and everything. Oh, that's aggressive behavior. We're going to have to pull them off. The, you know, we can't let them on the plane. But they don't know what the circumstances are. They don't know why you're angry and you're frustrated and you're stressed because you got to get on the plane. And the last thing you expected was to see yourself in bed with somebody else. That's anger, rage, everything you can think of. And it's just your synapses are firing. So you get dragged and put into some, you know, Guantanamo type uh, thing because they think you're a threat. But you're really not a threat. It's the circumstances that you're inflicted with. So the question becomes, how good are the malleant detectors? Well, there's a possibility that there's a difference between a perpetrator and a targeted individual. How does the brain of a victim fire in response to such viciousness and the brains of the perpetrator who's inflicting that harm? And I venture to guess that there are different ways that the brain fires. For every software, you could write another program that manipulates that software. But hey, you just keep relying on all this technology. Because in the end, it'll be your downfall. So it said, it would also appear that these state and corporate-sponsored terrorists have access to sock puppet software capability from which they use social networking to target an individual by way of spreading rumors, innuendos, and hate in mass against the target so that word sp- spreads rather quickly to the civilian population once the go-live over stages of organized stalking and electronic harassment begin. So I'm already, I'm already breaking it down. You're using social networking. You're depicting someone or a target in a negative light. You've got all these people that are claiming to have been victims, even though they're not real victims. A sock puppet capability is one person can become 10 different users. So these people are making up identities, and they're all claiming that the target did something. But really, it's all propagandized to manipulate the target audience, the people that they're going to go after, to radicalize them, to turn against somebody else. Then, the state and or corporate-sponsored professional hit squad, terrorist assassins, design a tainted and poisoned negative false light narrative for the purpose of exploiting and fabricating the information they obtain to further victimize the law-abiding, defenseless, targeted individual. From this point, all illegally begotten information obtained by the state and or corporate-sponsored professional hit squads via warrantless and due process-free acquisition of information to include continued warrantless cyber telecommunication 
wiretapping, hacking, and shadowing, audio and video surveillance, and other capabilities are then used to illegally and extensively profile the targeted individual for the purpose of systematic destruction upon every aspect of their human lives by setting them up, exploiting any weaknesses found of the target, and then using anything gained as a weapon and in the most degrading, dehumanized manner possible so as to recruit their cult of civilian sleeper cells who can then be called upon at their choosing and at any time to deploy and execute operations for the next name of a targeted individual group and or organization that these rogue state and corporate sponsored terrorists have decided must be eliminated. So it's malicious use of information and malicious prosecution. So if you're using information because you need to prove a point because you've, you've stated an argument, so I am being discriminated upon, my pay is unequal, right? These are the documents that I'm providing evidence. When you just take information and you try to destroy someone, like what they did at the company that I work for, basically trolling through stuff and thinking they can threaten me. I know the law too. So bring it on, Robert Talbot. I'm not backing down. That's not a threat. That's an absolute promise. Don't ever threaten me and think I'm supposed to back down. See, the racist mentality thinks because you're a person of color, you'll just back down because the bigwigs are coming after you. I have never backed down, and everybody knows that. But when you threaten me in writing, then let's go to war. I'm not afraid, but you should be. I'm not the one who's doing things wrong. I'm simply exposing the truth based on my experience. And like I said, my website is already talking about things that they're talking about now. People act like it's something new. Every target out there who's actually done their work and studied what's been done to them can identify every perpetrator out there. So how it works, and this is the experimental stages. So this is way in the beginning of the early 2000s. See, before they went live, like what they're doing now with this, you know, the, the, this propaganda and all this other stuff, they have to field test it. You have to field test it against who? You think you're going to go to the Middle East and field test a hearts and mind campaign when you don't even understand the culture or the language? Of course not. But you might be able to drop ship in the United States of America and other places that are a melting pot of ethnicities, homogenous communities, etc., rural, you name it. We got it. And can you drop ship psi operators or narrative network teams to manipulate those people to turn them, to manipulate them enough to turn them against whoever they scapegoat for whatever convenient reason they choose to do so? Or whatever promotes their political and or other agendas. 
So how it works, choose a solo human target, a scapegoat, someone who's expendable, located in strategically selected communities, town, cities, scattered throughout the United States. Covertly profile every aspect of the target's personal and professional life. Use human intelligence to follow stock targets to places they frequent, where they go. But you can do a lot of this through the cyber world now. See, this is building those algorithms, right? If you have your cell phone on you, you know, you could track a person no matter where they go. Um, basically extensively and illegally profile the targeted individual. Study likes and dislikes political, religious, and other affiliations. Within privacy of home, without warrant, use cyber and telecommunication capabilities to hack into or listen to private conversations, emails, websites, frequented online purchases, and online finances. So remember, I'm published before the guy's talking in 2018, that Wiley guy. I'm already published. I don't follow any leaders. Seek out any and all weaknesses or negative aspects of the target so they can be exploited, expounded upon, and exaggerated in the most negative false light for future psychological operations. Covertly interview those closest to target from personal, professional, to organizational affiliations and find out who the target is from their perspective. Take that information to be reverse engineered for future deployment in psychologically manipulating the target and the target audience, also known as the civilian population. The goal to find out every aspect of the solar targets of these state and corporate domestic terrorists can take the good and make it bad and take the bad and make it worse. Select target audience via psychological operation team or teams upon and against the civilians of that denied access area location, a vast landscape of diversity, social, economic, political, religious, ethnically diverse to homogenous cities, rural towns, big and small. Seek out religious, political, community leaders, and those individuals who can influence their member base, in addition to seeking out all weaknesses, intolerances, and or fears of these people, in particular, youth and women. Once the target audiences have been profiled and analysis have been completed, go live. By shaping the narrative to their advantage, be a targeted individual and target audiences profile using false flag operations, covert operations which are designed to deceive the public in such a way that the operations appear as though they are being carried out by other entities and against the solo human target. With an aggressive smear, fear, hate, retaliation, or revenge campaign, be a character and credibility assassination of the target using propaganda, negative, false light, whatever it takes to prey upon the civilians to turn them against the solo human target becomes another goal, in addition to having sufficiently manipulated the public so that they will act upon and against the target via community-based bullying without question, without reservation, without remorse, and most of all, without regard to the target's human humanity and or human life. One-stop shop places every aspect of the targeted individual's human life to include living situation into a laboratory and breeding ground setting for recruitment, training, and deployment of operations to include inviting experts from science, technology, academia, corporate, and medical to see how their real-time human guinea pig is doing, then do an analysis in order to advance their experimental agendas. Then it goes on. So it says, these are all in strategic locations spread throughout the United States for real-time world-world applications from setting up biometric surveillance, psychological operations, you name it. They deployed it on American soil. And part of that has to do with the information operation roadmap and not having trained personnel that were or could be experts in one or more of the five core military capabilities and in information operations. What came out in 2018 in the Wiley uh, with Christopher Wiley? 
information operations, psychological warfare. These are all military terms. And having one-stop locations where they can invite developers and new cutting-edge surveillance, cyber telecommunication capabilities for electronic warfare to biometric, spatial, emotional, optical recognition, neurotechnologies, biometric surveillance devices, directed energy, non-lethal, non-kinetic weapons, and other weaponized technologies in order to experiment with, to calibrate power, to programming software, to be able to visualize in real-world, real-time the biological, neurological, and or psychological effects and effects the solo human target is having. Not to mention, monitor the speed with which these assassins can deploy and execute the operations, how fast they can manipulate the public, and how quickly they can ultimately drive the perceived target slash adversary of their hate out of these communities, thus allowing them to follow the target and set up shop in yet another denied access location. <clears throat> And so I goes down on here and says to um After I do it, I start ending it, and I say, uh, some of the most comprehensive forms of psychological operations and psychological manipulation ever deployed against Americans and now international citizens in what is known as a hearts and mind campaign against their own targeted citizens in order to manipulate their target audience into becoming their future, basically, sleeper cells so they can be activated. Does, does that make sense? That once they're indoctrinated, they can't hear... It doesn't matter how many forms of truth you tell them. They're already indoctrinated. So if they want you to strike at the next person, they don't even question it because of the manipulation process. It's mind-fucking people. Um, so again, some of the most comprehensive forms of psychological... I, I wrote all of this. Well, not, I mean, some of the quotes from the, you know, like, what a description of psychological operation that was written by somebody else. But it's, it's, it's about the analysis of what's happened. Uh, some of the most comprehensive forms of psychological operation, psychological manipulation ever deployed against Americans and now international citizens of what is known as a hearts and mind campaign against their own targeted citizens in order to manipulate their target audience, which is the civilian population. You know, your target audience is who, who are you trying to go for in order to manipulate them you know, to do what you want them to do. Um, into becoming their future sleeper cells uh, who are now brainwashed into striking out against another fellow citizen all based on lies their state and their corporate-sponsored terrorist leaders deem necessary to exterminate. So that, that has to do with my analysis of being the victim of it and watching what these people do and how they operate and how they manipulate. I think in my website somewhere I say 80% of targeting is psychological, which means that they play, they play, they mess with your head. But they're not just messing with your head, they're also messing with the heads of the people who are the true experimentees, which is can you basically manipulate whole societies of people to turn against someone that they claim is bad? 
what did what did the why what did uh, this that um the gentleman or the young man uh with the Cambridge Analytica that blew the whistle? Everything I've already documented. Right out of his mouth. So another one that I have on here is um profiling. So say I'm already talking about what they're doing, they're profiling people so that they can manipulate them. I'm already published. But people tell me I don't know what the truth is. Of course I do. When I tell you at Robert Talbot that you guys are messing around with the computer system, try to make my worst my work bad to manipulate to, to try to get me to quit, I mean what I say. When I say that you committed acts of discrimination against me and unequal pay someone of color. I mean exactly what I say. But don't ever threaten me. And that's exactly what you did. And that's a big mistake. Because I do know what the truth is. And I'm not backing down. Just like my targeting. I will not back down. So the other one that I have on here and that I put on here has to do with profiling. And this is what all this stuff is. Only they have advanced algorithms that can get your data and know what you feel and know what you think and see how you follow people. That's why I don't use that type of social media. To me, the first when I saw it, I'm like, this is perfect for the spy agencies. They're building profiles on people. That's the first thing I thought. How many billions of people that use Facebook ever thought that? So it says, number two, so this is number two on the website, targeted individuals, why so much profiling? Why so much profiling? What is the point if the targeted individual has done nothing wrong? There are many explanations provided on other sites about why one would become a targeted individual, and until any of us is told outright, it is the best guess we can come up with. So you're someone, you you question authority, you're a whistleblower, you filed a complaint in the workplace or some other area, you politically or socially, you're aware and awake. You know, these types of things get on the radar of people who want everyone to stay ignorant. It's a real simple premise. The only time I ever asked why I was targeted was when it first went live. And I asked the manager of the apartment complex that I was living in in Hollywood, and I said, why? And he came up to the window and quietly said, because you know how to organize. And then I was like, really? And the next thing I know, I don't know how they heard it, but the people who were doing whatever came rushing down the stairs and they went banging on his door and they started yelling at him, I told you not to help her. I told you not to say anything to her. So I opened my door and I looked at that person who pretended to be someone else and I'm like, seriously, I work in the entertainment industry. I'm not a spot, you assholes. Um, basically, it can be for any of their perceived reasons, and your guess is as good as mine, but for most targeted individuals, they appear to be older, law-abiding, nonviolent, unarmed individuals who have repeatedly requested protection, help, intervention, assistance, and investigation via all proper law enforcement authorities at the local, state, and federal levels. 
Most all targets have spoken to attorneys and or non-government agencies to no avail and only to be continually denied their fundamental basic rights and liberties. It also appears no matter what level insidious violence, terror, pain, and or suffering is inflicted on a daily basis in an almost ritualistic manner, targets refuse to cross the line and continue to seek out the justice system to put an end to their targeting. This leads me to believe they were chosen for this specific reason, meaning they remain for the most part nonviolent in their quest to get their targeting to stop. If these architectural operations are being used for the purpose of recruitment, training, and experimenting, their recruits and operators would be safe as they were training. If these terrorists did the same in a violent neighborhood or with a target who had affiliations with armed persons, chances are violent retaliation would ensue. As such, these terrorists need targets who are law-abiding because they will use the very justice system that continues to fail them. Basically, if you were to look at SEER training in prisoner of war, parts of their torture training as prisoner of war is to refuse to compromise their country. Targets refuse to compromise on their constitutionally protected rights and liberties and the rule of law. Therefore, they refuse to compromise or give up on their country, although their country has given up on them. Most all targeted individuals will come to realize an extensive, warrantless, illegal, all-intrusive, covert, secretive profiling was conducted into every aspect of the target's human life prior to going live and letting the target know in an overt, unconcealed manner they are now a targeted individual. In order to design such a comprehensive targeting protocol, you need extensive funding, access to cutting-edge national and homeland security grade, in addition to private security grade cyber communicate cyber cyber which is cyber the cyber world computers and telecommunication surveillance shadowing and hacking capabilities video and audio surveillance in addition to these cutting edge experimental biometrics to include neurotechnologies trained psychological operation teams with, with specialty in info ops five core capabilities and operation operation teams vetted in human intelligence spying and data collection it would appear to take a few years of extensive profiling every move the target makes. So this is before the algorithms can do things at a quadrillion bits per second. And people who go onto Facebook and tell everything about their whole freaking lives, including when they had an argument with someone. Okay? You can profile a person in seconds. But if you're more of a private person who believes in privacy, you try not to, ultimately. Until you just have to say what you have to say. And you don't care what's out there. You have to come up against it. Because your life is being threatened. And I don't take kindly to having my life threatened. <clears throat> it would appear to take a few years of extensive profiling, every move the target makes, studying and analyzing the experimental biometric capabilities into the privacy of the targeted individual's home, at work, in their vehicle, and within public settings, to the websites they visit, the phone conversations they have, what they purchase, how much money they make, to their spending habits, in addition, their affiliations with various organizations such as religious, political, environmental, etc., basically obsessively stalking the targeted individual's lifestyle without warrant, knowledge, and or informed consent. In addition to lifestyle, there are other teams of professional assassins with expertise in psychology, sociology, anthropology, and other members of the medical profession, humanities, law, science, 
and those with technological expertise in software engineering who are involved involved the enti- within the entire process of what the targeted individual has been literally forced against their will as these cores use them like disposable human targets, human guinea pigs, and think of them as disposable human trash. This is accomplished by using their expertise in a hearts and mind campaign to get the general public, also known as the citizens or the target audiences, the civilian population, to view the targeted individual in this exact same sort of dehumanizing of another human being. Um, all of this data appears to be placed in some type of human profiling software system or server that has the capacity to compile and analyze the data and output the best case scenarios on how to manipulate the targeted individual and the target audiences. So you have to understand, all this shit that's coming out, I've been published for years. I already did the analysis. Because, not because I'm an insider who's the point in executing the operation, but as a victim who instead of crawling into a hole while their lives are constantly under attack and being threatened, chose to step up to the plate and try to warn people, just like other targets have spent their time exposing what's been happening. I'm already documented. I'm already published. And it doesn't matter how many recordings talks you thinks to, to get rid of for whatever reasons. I wish they would tell me because I sent them an email and I would like to know where they are. But at least I know I stood up to the plate. I did what was right. You know that whole concept? It's better to stand alone knowing you did what was right than to stand with a group of people who are doing something that is fundamentally wrong. It's a real simple premise. Who cares if people don't like you? If you're doing what's right, then you're doing what's right. It doesn't matter what the brainwashed groupthink believes because they were told to believe that. So all of this data appears to be placed in some type of human profiling software system or server that has the capacity to compile and analyze the data and output the best case scenarios on how to manipulate the targeted individual. Then these teams, with their various expertise, design strategic protocols to use against the targeted individual and also their target audiences, also known as the civilian population, from which these terrorists have targeted to psychologically manipulate and recruit to their side. The architectural operations are based on these fields of expertise that are being aided and abetted by the development of cutting-edge software with the capacity to conduct profiling, surveillance, cyber telecommunications, neuro, because they've weaponized neuroscience and neurotechnology, biometrics, and other technologies that harness the electromagnetic spectrum, which are being weaponized to be used in future military and for domestic crowd control. So what I'm saying is, fuck you people for calling me a name. What did the guy say in Cambridge Analytica? It's almost like they're stealing from me. When I published in 2010 the one-stop shop and sent it off to the, and I broke it down, you know, the, how it works, what they've been doing to people like me. Two men walked out and one of them said, she nailed us.
What does that mean? That means that everything I was saying was basically what they were doing. Like I said, now you have to understand that my website was published before the Snowden leaks. And when you start going troving through the Snowden leaks, you'll see that they use sociologists and anthropologists and all these types of people with expertise and they weaponize their skill sets in order to manipulate people. And like a lone voice in the wilderness, I just said, I got to put this website together. We have targets who've done shows for longer than me, even myself. Article after article. This is what's happening. Don't you get it? Wake the hell up. Instead, you got people in the same mentality still trying to do the same thing, which is threaten the target. Constantly threatening the target. Thinking that's how you power over somebody else. But I'm still standing. And I say, if that's what you think you need to do, Robert Talbot, then bring it on. Let's go to court. Let's talk about the retaliation. Let's bring people in under discovery and have these employees question about what their knowledge was under penalty of perjury. How many of those people do you think will break? Because I don't have a problem dragging everybody in. Let's even bring in Bernowski and all these other people. Because under criminal investigation, it doesn't matter what confidentiality you think you sign. It's about getting to the truth. Don't ever threaten me in underlying words because I'm not backing down. So this show was basically about showing that this Cambridge Analytica and this manipulation and psychologically manipulate, everybody thinks, and this is the best way to get people, you're special, you're chosen. Nobody can manipulate you. And you prey upon the egos and the narcissism of people that nobody, nobody can manipulate them. And the moment you do that, you've pretty much got those people in your pocket. The one core capability is what I call them. Couldn't even make it past the first core, which was PSYOPs, before they jumped on board. And it's showing that I'm not the only person who's been telling the truth for years. And it's a shame that all these people stood back and allowed these people to get away what they've gotten away with. And now we're in a complete mess where people don't even know what the truth is. But I do. And maybe some philosopher will say, well, that's a perception. Yeah, maybe it is subjective. Okay. But I took what I experienced and I put it on paper. And I'll never back down. Especially if I made an accusation, it's because I know what I'm talking about. 